What's up, Neil? Hi, how are you? My name's Neil. And you're Adam. And this is Don't Shit on the Bus. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Don't Shit on the Bus. This week's guest is none other than Matthew Flyzik, a production manager and a tour manager who works for Kygo. But we both met him when he worked for All Time Low back in the day. Yeah, he's badass. He's just like one of the most well put together people I've ever met on the road. A lot of times like you meet people that are like his age and you're like, oh, you know, you're like us. But he's not. He's really well put together. He uh, is so organized, has an answer for everything, which I think is very important whenever you're either the production manager or the tour manager, whatever your duty calls, because he is both. Yeah, and it takes the right type of person to do production manager and tour manager. I don't know what type of person it is, but Matthew Flyzik is that person, which is pretty much just the most organized, like you said, put together person with an answer to everything. He just makes touring so easy and he's got this friendly kind of straight to the point attitude that makes me feel like, all right, everything's going to be all right because Matthew Flyzik's here. Yeah. He's like one of those people you can just talk to about anything and it's kind of good that he has all the answers because he's just that easy to talk to. So, you know, he is, he's just like one of those people, like you, you look at him and you're like, man, you really have done a lot in your life and you're here with us and you're our age and you're a friend and, and you're in charge and I'm okay with that because you're good at what you do. There's not many people that I've met on the road that, that usually check all of those boxes, but Matt really does. Yes, he is the perfect candidate for his job and we're excited to share with you all the knowledge that he has to share. So he's going to talk a lot about the importance of networking and kind of working with your crew and being on the road and being family. Our personal experience, Neil and I, has been touring with him. I've toured with All Time Low working for them and Neil's toured with them as another artist on the road and he just made the experience so I don't know, flawless. Like it was just easy. I remember one time uh, Neil's band, a day to remember, was celebrating something in Michigan and he like bought you guys alcohol. Yeah, it was pretty rad. I think he like got us uh, some champagne to really celebrate. That was whenever we won our lawsuit. We were on tour with him. It was in Detroit, actually. It was a big day for us. So he really knew when and what to do to make us feel welcome and at home and that other people were there to support us and uh, cheer us on in that really tough time for us. It was really cool. All right, and real fast, we do have two new patrons today. Uh, we have Lars from the Netherlands, and Neil, we got Daniel, Travis Vargas photographer. Daniel Rojas is fucking amazing, and what a great guy. I have nothing else to say other than just great things. Find him on Instagram, Fog again. Good dude. Happy to have him part of the community. He's going to he's gonna contribute. We're going we're gonna to enjoy it, so thank you. But yeah, so without further ado, Matthew Flyzik, let's go, production manager. Dude, you're like, I know I've probably said this, but you're who I look up to when it comes to touring and crew. Like ever since touring with All Time Low and starting off, I was like, first thing that sticks out for me is when you saved like PDs and took us all to Morton Steakhouse or something or buyouts. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was basically just hiding money and then revealed it all at the end of the, the tour. And be like, oh, look at all this money I saved you guys. Let's go eat some steaks. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. I mean, I remember whenever you booked us on the boat tour in Lake Shasta and it was probably one of the best off days ever. And I just got to enjoy it by proxy. So yeah, that was awesome. That was like, you did that, Flyzik? Uh, yeah, because we had done it on Warp Tour a couple times. And then when we were on tour with Data Remember, we were like, this is the best day off. Everyone's cool and hangs. Like, let's do this again. He was right. It was the best day off. Yeah, booking days off is awesome. And yeah, I just have very fond memories of working with you, especially when I was just starting and setting a really good example and keeping, you know, wrangling a bunch of people who are probably similar age to you, but you just were much more mature. Were you, I was always like two years older than everyone. And for some reason, people looked up to me for that. I think it's because I could buy alcohol early on. So they're like, we got to be friends with this guy because we're only 20 and he's 22. If I bought them alcohol, the band would be happy. <laughs> and then that's that. Happy band, happy tour manager. It works in most aspects of life, I feel like. Just keep your band happy. Adam, were you, do I call you Adam or El Machias? You call me whatever you want. Well, I didn't mean that to sound the way it sounded at all. All right. <laughs> yeah, just Adam or El Machias. You can call me El Machias. I call you Flyzik. so. And we've always went by last names. I think because when we, when I toured at All Time Low, there was multiple Matt, so we just went by last names. Were you on tour Just Surrender? Yeah. I don't technically consider that my first tour because they were forced to take me on tour by their manager. And I think they were very bummed. Was it Lucas Keller? Yeah, it was Lucas Keller. And he shoved me in the back seat with the tallest guy. I forget his name. And 
I was too young to know. I was just happy to be on tour. And he was like, kill me. This sucks. <laughs> so I don't ever delete emails. And so I typed in your name and looked at every email we've ever like chatted with and went back to the very first one. So I remember that story and how we met. What an amazing thing to have every email. So you can just be like, oh, actually, it was a Thursday at 12 p.m. So funny story. My fiance works in music. She also works with All Time Low. So I typed in her name and I could pinpoint the exact day that we met in person. She came to a show and I left her like a ticket and we had talked on email and I was like, oh, I'll see you at the show. That makes the story even that much better. <laughs> Don't delete your emails is the moral of the story. <laughs> wow. Yeah. For everybody who's listening, I know we've told you before we have show notes, but we share them with the guest and sometimes they'll go ahead and add their own notes. Matt went in and did what we like to call TMing the notes where basically Basically, he handled shit. <laughs> A little side story on how we met. I worked for All Time Low, who was like not the toughest band. Adam worked with all like the heavier bands and the hardcore bands. And so when we started hanging out with you, people wanted to be our friend then. They were like, all right, well, if Adam thinks they're cool, then I guess they're cool. And you're like our bridge <laughs> to like cooler bands to hang out with. Like a day to remember? No. Totally. <laughs> not like a day to remember. That's funny because you were my bridge to validating myself as a teenager and being like, wow, <laughs> I'm with a band that thinks I'm cool. I don't know why, but let's go. Well, how did you and Neil meet? Was it on tour? Yeah, must've been like a warp tour. Yeah, probably like i think we were both on 2008 warp tour or 2009 warp tour those years blur together but we never really hung out until we like actually toured together there's just so many people on warp tour right. you know you hang out at like the barbecues and stuff afterwards so it wasn't until we like actually toured that we and i wasn't actually at those like i was there in person but i was not there mentally you know, <laughs> mentally yeah so you know you're right the first real time we hung out was on the Pierce Avail All Time Low Data Remember House Party Tour. To piggyback off what Flyzik said about, you know, me being his bridge or whatever to hang out with people, a big thing for me is when I see people I'm friends with who didn't know each other meet each other and become friends, it makes me feel really good. And I specifically remember when Flyzik talked to, I think it was Neil and Jeremy on that tour. You guys were in the midst of your lawsuit and he started talking to you guys about that. And it was after a show and I know that you work really hard and um, I don't see you. I guess, turn off that much. And I saw you like relaxing and hanging out with them. And I was like, fuck yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> Funny story about, I ne will never forget this, but you guys won your lawsuit. I don't know if I should say their name, but we like sent you some alcohol and the card was congrats on your victory. <laughs> yeah. was so clever. <laughs> we appreciated that so much. Like I remember just like that day, I think it was in, yeah, in Detroit. It was in Michigan. Yeah. Amphitheater. The only reason I remember is because of how disgusting that trailer that the backstage rooms are in. It's like had like carpet in the bathroom. So you got out of the shower. Sorry, Michigan. Feel like, no, I mean, it's not their fault, you know. Connor's in Michigan. Just don't Sorry, take a Connor. shower at the backstage of the amphitheater there because they have carpet in the bathroom, which is gross. So nasty. Man, it's cool. Like reminiscing about times you've had on tour with other people. And then even just you saying that, Flyzik, like I remember that, but it's not in my memory. And it's cool having having people bring back other memories of yours that you cherish that you forgot you had. I don't know. Doing this podcast has been awesome for that. It is crazy. I mean, I think I've toured now for 14 years. And you obviously don't remember everything that you've done, but just like certain things stuck out and you'll never forget. And it's, it's cool to reminisce on the ones that do. And then some people, you'll talk to people and like I said, like they'll remind you of something that happened that you maybe had forgotten about. Even having those multiple perspectives, like kind of like seeing it from someone else's point of view, you know, and being like, oh, I do remember that. Okay. So, I mean, you said you've been touring for 14 years, but prior to touring, like what got you initially interested in the music industry? Like what, I don't know, made you be like, oh, this is a thing I can do. I started getting into music, like as I started to get into high school. And then I just remember going to my first concert in 2000 is Blink-182, Bad Religion and Phoenix TX. I just thought it was so cool. That's a lineup. I, I mean, I, I loved Blink-182 at the time. So just seeing them and just being your first concert was cool. But I don't know, the, the production and like there was fire and all, you know, just fascinated me. And then a few months later, Phoenix TX came back around, but played a club. So I like begged my dad. I was like, oh my God, like that band was so much fun live. Like I want to go see them again. And so my second concert was Phoenix TX with Good Charlotte and Newfound Glory opening, which went on to become some of my favorite bands. And just seeing like going from an amphitheater show to like a small club show, like I was even more more fascinated like wow like the vibe is so much different and the production is different and stripped down but it's you know i don't know just fascinated by how like how cool the show was and it's like i want to do that i want to like go on tour and be in these clubs and be around this this energy every night and then the more i started going to shows like the more i wanted to get involved and like you know you'd see vans and trailers on the road and be like that's so cool one day i hope that i'm in a van and trailer you know <laughs> and then you get a van and trailer and then you're like well this sucks i hope we can tow a bus someday <laughs> 
But I don't know, just going to concerts, really, just, I wanted to be a part of it. Man, I wanted to go to that tour with Blink-182 and Bad Religion and Phoenix CX so bad, but my mom made me choose between Warp Tour that year and the Blink-182 tour, and I chose Warp Tour, which was awesome, but they made a DVD of that or whatever, like the Blink, like the Cut You Up band or whatever that opened that tour, like made the DVD of that yeah, show. Yeah. I was so jealous. I mean, Warp, the old Warp Tour lineups were like legendary. Like It was legendary, but... You, you probably made the right choice there, but still. I went to the next year. I went to the newfound glory midtown that was awesome too that was like my first concert what was your first concert ever warp tour warp tour was my first one and then that was like my first show at like a arena like they played the ice palace in tampa and i was just like this is insane they had like the flaming fuck and i was like yes i need to do that i was the same thing i was just like yeah i need to do this with my life like you can do this when your parents aren't around. You can light fuck on fire. This is cool as fuck. I'm pretty stoked that my first concert was Blink with Bad Religion and Phoenix DX. So most people are like, oh, I went to like a Britney Spears concert or like, you know, <laughs> some like pop thing from the you know, 90s. Glad that mine was punk Just rock. Just right to the cream of the crop. I hold great pride in my first concert and I was eager to get it out, but it's Linkin Park, Corn in the Used. And I was just... I love Linkin Park. Dude, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> me too. And that was, thinking back to that moment, helps me remember what it's like to be a fan in an arena in the mosh pit and how it felt like. Literally, I was in the biggest crowd of people ever and danger was everywhere. And now you, you know, you get to our level or you've done it for a long time and you go to a venue and it's almost like you're in a sandbox. You can just like, okay, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go here. It's not overwhelming at all. But thinking back to that helps me remember what's going through all these fans' minds at a concert. Feels like it's you're never going to be able to get out of there ever. Yeah. Like if you're in the middle, you're like, this is where I am now, the middle of this crowd <laughs> forever. I exist only here now. I took a lot of pride in being able to get from the stage to front of house very quickly. Like you just, <laughs> once you've done it enough, like, you know, like you have to go around and then cut through at a certain point and like you just figure it out and like, you're, you know, you'll know, you'll be at like these crazy festivals. Well, you probably don't go to front of house very often. So maybe you don't know, but like, you just learn how to navigate massive crowds and how to get through quickly. And yeah, when you're a kid, you're like, this is insane. It's those little things that you, you gain pride from. It's like, I can leave in exactly three minutes and I will be there perfectly on time. And it's like the most weird thing that you can't time out most times. But it's like once you've done it for however long, it's just become second nature. All right. So that's how you got started in the music industry. And then eventually you had to, you know, change that into touring. And I looked at your notes and I like how you started because this is, I think it's the best way if you don't know what to do to just get started. Sorry to give away your thing, but I'll let you explain it yourself. So I actually get asked this question a lot by just people like, how do I get started in the music industry? And so for me, I was just very active in my local music scene. When I was in high school, I was in a shitty punk rock band and I was always the guy I'd go to shows and I'd pass out flyers and like, I was the one booking shows. So from that, I started making a lot of friends. It was essentially networking. Like, you know, I'd go to other local shows and pass out flyers and meet those bands. And then, you know, they'd help me meet people to book my own band on shows. And then I'd meet the guys booking shows and just met a lot of people. And then eventually my band sucked. So, you know, they were <laughs> going to break up at some point. But because I'd met so many people in other bands, you know, through that, I met All Time Low. And when my band was done, they were like, you know, why don't you just come on tour with us? We don't have anyone touring, but they see how we're about to go on this big nationwide tour in a bus with Amber Pacific. Why don't, you know, you were always kind of like the manager of your band, even though you were the singer, you know, you were always like the guy who's like, you know, taking charge and doing shit. Why don't you come out on tour with us? And I got there because I was so active in, in the music scene. Yeah, that's awesome. I love hearing about people's starting steps because I don't know, it's not, you can't just decide you want to do it and then walk onto, you can't just go right on the bus. And I'm sure if you just did that, I don't know, I would think it would be a tough learning process when well, you kind of went right on the bus. I mean, when people ask me, I always tell them to like, go work at a venue or, you know, work at your local radio station, which I also did, but just get involved because eventually you're going to meet the right person who will, you know, want to take you on tour. You know, there's plenty of times where we've needed a, an audio guy and, you know, we think back to, oh, we met that really cool kid who did audio in Chicago. I wonder if he would ever tour, you know, this, the show sounded great that night. And then lo and behold, you find out he has toured before and you pluck him and take him on your tour. So it's be active in your local scene as much as you can. You're like setting yourself up for the, those opportunities that you'd only get from the weird in between meetings of like, oh, here was a, we did an acoustic show. It's like, and you wouldn't even be there unless you were 
kind of volunteering at the radio station or something like that, you know? Right. Maybe something broke at a concert and, you know, like the stage in ran over and like helped fix your guitar. And then, you know, a year later you need a guitar tech and you're like, Oh, remember that guy who like helped fix this our guitar? Like I bet he'd be a good guitar tech, you know, like, and then once you get your foot in the door, once you do one tour, then you meet a hundred other people. And then, you know, like, then, then you're good as long as you're a good person and, you know, do the yeah, job. As long as you're not a dick. Once you get that first tour, it really should set up whatever trajectory you're going to go from there. Cause it's like, there is always going to be other bands on that tour. There is always going to be other needs and things that are just, Hey, can you do this for me real quick? And then you get to like meet all these different people, especially like Adam said, if you're not a dick, you know, you get to like go and really just skyrocket from there. I mean, that's how every job I've gotten since all time low was just other tour managers that I met on the road, just looking out for me. Like, Hey guys, I'm not touring, you know, anymore with anybody. If you hear of anything, let me know. And then, you know, a friend will hit me up. Hey, I hear so-and-so's interested, you know, in or needs a tour manager. Do you want me to put you in contact with the manager? And I mean, it's just about all who you know in this industry. You mean you didn't get your jobs through your LinkedIn? Not get my jobs through my LinkedIn. <laughs> Does anybody actually use LinkedIn? Is that a real thing? I've been invited to it 800 times, but I don't think there's a spot for me on there. I logged in last week and I still had hair in my photo. That's how old it was. <laughs> so I changed it. I was like, all right, I guess I'll do this. I only changed it because I was starting to use Clubhouse and I wanted to be able to link to my LinkedIn. Is Clubhouse cool? I keep reading about it. I think Clubhouse is very cool. It's just like conversations and you can like tune in, right? It's like curated hosted conversations by people that are actually should be curating and hosting conversations. And like the other day, Elon Musk was talking about doing with Kanye West and it's like every industry. So do you get like a today on Clubhouse and you can like choose to tune in? Yeah, there's a lot of events coming up and it's based on your Facebook friends and your contacts and like think of it as a stage, but on around your phone. So there's people who are talking and they mute and unmute themselves and the people in the audience can raise their hand and you can bring them up to the stage and they can talk and ask a question and you can put them back in the audience. Yeah, that's really cool. I've been getting into podcasts more and more. I feel like I'm late to the podcast game, but I guess it's like live podcasting. Yeah. yeah. Well, because now everybody's so good at talking or it's required so much for every industry, right? Like it wasn't like this years ago, at least in my experience, like you didn't have to be well articulated to do every job. Now it's like, you know, there's a whole level of, I don't know what we're doing right now. Like <laughs> TMs didn't do podcasts however many years ago, but thank you for being on here. Back in the day, you couldn't really find any information on the people behind the scene and kind of what it took to get into the world and what it took to do any of those things. So I think that even people being willing to come on here and kind of share their stories and talk about all the different ways it took them to get to these careers is really, really cool. I know I wish I had that when I was in high school. Do you think COVID helped like, because I know there's a few of these that have started where, you know, like touring guys are talking about what they do and they have the time to do it and people created it because of COVID. Absolutely. Were you guys doing this before COVID or was this coming the last year? This definitely came from, well, Adam saying that he stopped doing all of the other things that he was doing. And he's like, I started working on this thing to really fulfill that void that was created from not being able to go and do live events or go and do all these things that he's so good at. And I think the other thing is we've talked like the industry as a whole has shifted and its mentality. Like we could relate when there's like the old tour dogs or the people who've been there for a while. They kind of teach you through like they're a little more more hard and secretive, I guess you would say. And I think like with our generation, we're more open to teaching people and we want that camaraderie and like welcoming new people and people to learn and, you know, intern and shadow. And you could do that before, but it was there was wasn't like a way you could you had to like get in you know it was such such a hard gate to get through our generation of touring guys is a little less salty right? <laughs> yeah we're just like it reminds me of in photography that's like the film camera people when i was getting into it they're like oh you're shooting with a digital camera you just think you're a photographer now and i was like yeah and everybody who wants to do it can do it but everybody before me was like you can't be a photographer and they were and i was like <laughs> i never want to be that way it felt so bad to receive that it's kind of cool that those situations happen because it kind of taught us all what we didn't want to be like you know like and i know that for instance when a data member was coming up like we always were like we'd go on support tours and we were really happy that we got to go on the support tours but it was like hey get your drums off the stage and you got to be set up in less than five minutes and whenever we were like all right well whenever we get to headline we're not going to make anyone take their drums off we're not going to make anyone do these things we're going to try and give as much space to these people as possible just because we know how that feels 
And it was just like one little thing that we would do that was a change. But it was like, as it keeps going, I feel like, you know, we all learned from what it felt like to have those negative situations. And now we're like, we hope to never continue those negative things. All Time Low did a ton of supporting on their way up, which I got to do with them. And not to reiterate what you just said, but we always at the end of the tour would be like, okay, when you guys headline, what did we learn from that tour that we never want to do? Like, let's not treat other bands the way we were treated. They always, you know, would look back on tours and be like, let's not do that. You know, that sucked and that sucked. And let's be the band that people like to tour with. And I think they were like, you know, we're always trying to be as, as, friendly to the support bands, you know, have fun and just make like the touring environment a good environment, you know, a lot of positivity. Obviously, it's not the only reason, but I definitely think that's a massive reason that they've transcended all these bands that have kind of come and gone and they broke through all of that. They are still around because of how good they are to people, how hard they work, and they're just fucking fun. They're like one of those bands that like even when everything's serious, they're like, oh, we'll make a joke about it. And then they still take care of you. It's like, it's awesome. I mean, I, I think that goes to show that they're like any band, like you do need to take support tours and you do need to get treated like shit because you learn from it. You know, you, you see some of these bands that just blow up out of nowhere and, you know, they just go straight from nobodies to headliners. And they're the ones that treat bands like shit because they didn't, you know, like come up and, you know, get treated poorly. So they don't, you know, they're like, oh, you know, we're the, it's, it's our show. And they're like, you know, just ego. Yeah. We're breaking the system. We like fuck the whole generation after us. They're going to all be dickheads. <laughs> also, Flyzik, when you were with All Time Low, you were like almost like a member of that band because you ran the meet and greets and you were on stage playing stuff. You sang, too. right? Am I allowed to say? We talk about that. We don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> you had an amazing voice, dude. He is a good singer. It's crazy. Yeah, I didn't know if we were allowed to say that. You were awesome. I think they had me do that because. It's like a joke at first, and then it just kind of like stuck. I don't know why that happened. I remember seeing you at Bamboozle, and I was like, holy shit, we need a tour manager that sings that good. No, <laughs> you like, don't. Holy... You don't. Nobody needs that. <laughs> no, that was badass. And that was cool, because like even then, I, I thought it was so crazy that you were like their age. I was like, we have like this 85-year-old guy that can like... I mean, we never had an 85-year-old guy, but it felt like it, considering that you were the same age as like the people you were touring with. And I was like, damn, that's cool. And they're like, got their shit together, and they're fucking killing it. This is badass. I have a pretty good Flyzik relic in my uh, closet, in my like binder of everything. One of my favorite things he used to do is he tracked time between songs with All Time Low. They would talk like, if they had an hour show, they would talk for 20 minutes. Well, we know that they are heavily influenced by Blink-182. That's what they would do. It's like... It was so funny. You got to tell the jokes. That's the good part of the show. Right. It would start to get so out of hand. I started writing down how much they talked just to be like, you guys could have played like eight more songs, but you just <laughs> talked a bunch of shit in between. Like, That's awesome. It makes me want to hear your band now from when you were young and you say they're shitty when I know yeah. that you can sing and you probably out. weren't. You sounded like every high school band that would... All right. So if people want to get into tour managing, I don't know if they were to look at themselves and kind of self-identify They're like, hey, I have these qualities. I mean, what skills would you think that would need to be required for them to do this job? So one of the major things of being a tour manager and a production manager is you have to be a forward thinker. You always have to think ahead. You know, you're planning a concert and things are always going to go wrong. There's no perfect show. So you need to think like, plan for the worst and expect the worst to happen and have, you know, plan A, B, and C, you know, expect your artist to ask for a million things, expect your crew to have missed something. Always thinking of everything. I have that skill and just, you know, outside of touring, if, you know, I'm planning like a party or something. I'm thinking every hour that the party is going to happen. What are people going to be doing? Is there enough food? Is there enough drinks? Do we have enough ice? You know, just like every little detail. And I kind of think about that stuff in all aspects of my life. But that skill, you know, I put towards. It translates really well, it sounds like. Yeah. Also being very disciplined. I don't really have a boss. I do have a boss. They're the manager, the artist, you know, they're my boss, but they're not checking in on me. I don't work in an office. You know, they'll say the show is in six weeks make sure everything's ready for the show. And then it's up to me to like break up my time and, you know, work on my schedule, you know, to make sure that everything is ready. I can't put things off. You know, there's deadlines that only I know. So you have to like 
I don't know, you have to monitor yourself. There's no one, you know, micromanaging you, which is good. You know, I can wake up whenever I want. I can work whatever hours I want. At the end of the day, when the show comes around, everything needs to be there or you're not going to have a job anymore. I cannot imagine that massive amount of work just like looming. I'd be like a week out. I'd be like, I better start sending emails. Probably why I am not a tour manager. (laughs) You have to be organized. Uh, You have to be a leader. Everyone comes to you with their problems. You know, you don't just work for the artist, even though, you know, you're like the head of the crew, like, you know, they're coming to you what they need and, you know, what they want. And, you know, you're, you're the leader. You have to keep the ship, you know, organized. I can think back to when I've been in situations in other countries or on tour and I was like feeling alone. And I, you know, I didn't want to ask the band member and be embarrassed, but I could always go to the tour manager and be like, dude, I know you have a lot on your plate. I only, I don't ask much every tour, but I really need help with this one thing. And the tour manager is always someone like, if you ask them at the right time, they'll help you, you know? And like, they always know the answer. Like I think we said before, it's kind of like a father figure, but they really are like, they know everything and they've thought about everything. We're kind of like a guidance counselor, you know, like yeah, we're there for everybody. We have our little office, you know, you close the door and you can talk about anything with some tour managers. Some tour managers are dicks and they don't want nothing to do with anybody. Some tour managers that we've toured with have just been like this. Straight face. Stare at you and you're like, (laughs) do you like me? And should I leave your office now? Because I have a serious, I'm going to leave. Okay. I'll see you later. Uh, Those are the guys that got to get off the road. If you're not having fun anymore doing it, like don't do it anymore. Cause there's so many people that want to tour and have fun touring. It sucks when you like these, you know, these old jaded guys and girls and they just aren't enjoying it anymore. And it's like, I get it's your job, but you know, like, yeah, touring is so much fun. And it's like a, is an honor and a pleasure to be able to do it. Like have fun with it. I think a lot of that will get sorted out, especially now because of COVID. It's like all those people are going to go find something else that makes them happy. And then when it comes back, they're just going to be like, you know what? I didn't really like doing that anyways. And then hopefully the podcast will be like, oh, I ha- we have this whole trove of people that we can, that even is it a word. I might've just made it up. An entire group of people that you can choose from and hopefully they understand how to shape their skill set to be better at whatever job it is that they want to do. Yeah, that's we're hoping we want to siphon people into the industry whether it be starting a shadowing or interning or something you know there's obviously real world skills but at least it won't come on tour and shit on your bus you know that's one thing that is for sure it's like no one's going to be pooping on buses they got it i've always heard not to get on that i've always heard that there are buses you can shit on they have like a grinder system yeah the myth but i've never actually seen one is that resisting real have you ever had one neil i mean we've never had one but we when we toured with silverstein we were like man one day we're gonna have a bus that you can poop on we heard silverstein has a poop grinder in there and they can poop on that bus i was like god I did you ever see it or is this just a myth that's what i'm saying i think it's just a myth and like when we asked about it they're like uh we don't i mean bill shit in there but uh we don't know about that and i'm like are you just saying that so we don't try to come on here and poop in there did you guys ever plastic bag it oh yeah hot bagging I mean, it's funny because we would always like eat like a random 7-Eleven taquito and it'd be like, oh, no, it's like four in the morning. Everyone's asleep and you were ashamed. I'd be crying in the bathroom, the hot bag, you know, I cannot wait to poop in a bag again. It's like (laughs) these are the things that always seem so awful. And now I'm like, yes, just let me poop in that bag. Let's do it. (laughs) What? Yeah, I can't wait to tour again. I'm going to do all the worst parts by myself just to get back out there. I don't even care. It's fine. What's Neil doing? Um, I don't know. He's pretending he's late for bus call and he's locked off the bus. I don't know what he's doing. Mary's like, please get him on tour again because he keeps pooping in bags in our bathroom <laughs> and then he walks through the house. He just throws he it in the yard. and tell her to throw it out the window. <laughs> <laughs> our whole yard's filled with bags of poop. It's kind of gross, but... Next time you change your baby's diaper, just like put it in a bag and like tuck it out a window. <laughs> Oh, this feels so good. Uh, I think on this first episode, Neil, you promised this would be the most we ever talked about poop. And I think we broke that promise. Hell yeah. The podcast is called Don't Shit on the Bus. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to bring up poop. So when it comes to daily responsibilities of a tour manager, what would be your daily responsibilities? Well, Neil, since you asked, you just schedule the whole day in advance. There's this whole thing called advancing, which is the six weeks leading up to the show is you plan everything you do throughout the day. The load-ins, the sound check, the arrival times, what time doors are, set times, loadout, curfew, all that stuff. It's the touring production manager's job to build the stage and the lights and PA. And basically, when you walk into a concert and you look up and you see everything, you know, hanging from the ceiling and the, the tour manager arranged all of that. 
hired the crew to do it, figured out the weights and all the specifications in order to do it. You coordinate the the security. So, you know, when you first walk in, whether you're getting wanded or metal detectors or any of that, you know, the security staff around the room, the barricades, the tour manager advances all of that, you know, and, and a lot of that has to do with the, the type of show it is and, you know, the, the artist's needs. You know, at a day to remember show, you're not going to have seats on the floor. You know, you're going to have barricades up and, you know, security because people are going to be, you know, stage diving and mosh pitting and all that stuff. Whereas at like Neil Young or whatever, you're going to have chairs and, you know, security different, you know, so the, you know, the tour manager plans all that. You arrange everything backstage to the stuff that the fans don't see, you know, the, the dressing rooms, the catering, the M&Ms that are split up by color, the, the staff, the signs, you know, when you're in an arena, these things, places are like giant mazes. So you have just hang signs and arrows. So, you know, when Neil walks in, he doesn't, he's not like, where's my dressing room? You know, he can, he can figure it out. Um, you book hotels, you book flights, you book cars, trucks, jets, planes, like pretty much everything to get the artist there and make the show happen. The tour and production manager, or if it's the same person, plans all of it. Yo, real fast, halfway through it, I feel like I forgot we're doing production manager and not tour manager because Flyzik started as tour manager. Have we misspoke a shit ton? I know you're on as production manager slash tour manager. So I do both, which some people do one or the other. I would say, Flyzik, do you want to break down how you're kind of both right now and explain that real fast? Because just for our viewers to understand, I don't know. Yeah, so a lot of tours and bigger tours, just because there's a lot of responsibilities, have a tour manager and a production manager coming up. I learned how to do both. So a lot of times I'll take on both responsibilities because they are pretty similar. The production manager handles everything in the venue that doesn't have to do with the artist themselves. So the the production, the lights, the video walls, the security, the barricades, everything in the building, crew, the staff, the local crew, the trucks, the buses. The tour manager is specific to the artist. They book the artist hotels. They get the artist to the city. If the artist stays in a hotel, they book you know cars from the hotel to the venue back to the hotel. They make sure that the you know the artist has the food that they need. Everything is in the artist dressing room. They are specific to the artist themselves. It is possible to do both, and you just kind of look after everyone all together. Or if you have a, a very needy artist or an artist who's busy and has a press schedule and their schedule doesn't link up specifically with the tour and they're off doing other things and then fly back in, you split their responsibilities just to make it a little easier on people. But you do it all. I do it all. That's wild because tour managing sounded overwhelming when we talked to Meg about just that. And we know that the lines are kind of blurred too sometimes, right? Like most tour managers can be production managers and most production managers can be tour managers. You definitely help each other out. And with my current artist, Kygo, I do both, but we did an arena tour and we knew it would just be too hard for me to handle both. So we brought in separate production manager and also being with the DJ, he was not traveling in buses. He had his own separate schedule. So whereas, you know, the tour all travels together, he was flying from show to show. And so I needed to specifically be with him because his schedule wasn't lining up with the tour schedule. You were talking earlier about how like all of these things are advanced, but they're directly related to what happens daily because you need to know every single aspect of all the things you brought up to be able to manage everything and make sure it happens efficiently, make sure it happens on time. And like you said, if anyone has a question, they're coming to you because you have those answers, right? Right. So you plan things, you know, six to eight weeks in advance because people are, you know, the label will hit up the tour manager and say, hey, you know, on day 18 of the tour, you're in this city. The artist needs to do an interview at a radio station that's 40 minutes away. What time are they going to be at the venue and what time do you need them back? And you have to know that answer. So you're, you're planning so far ahead and you have everyone's schedules and you know when you're loading in, you know when your buses are arriving because people are also trying to plan other things that aren't directly related to the show around where the artist is and when the show is. So knowing all these things are key. Wow. It's so much information. I just want to like, I want to shadow you because I just want to see like what your computer even looks like. It sounds like your level of organization is something I aspire to achieve. It just must be so well done. I would say if my apartment caught on fire, I'd go back in to get my computer because there's just so much information on it. Like I would die if my computer stopped working. Please don't tell me you only stored on your computer. You have to work on a Google or something. Yeah, no, I keep things in Dropbox, but there are some things that I keep on my computer, like, you know, sensitive information, passports and addresses and, you know, 
certain things that I don't want floating around the internet. So, you know, there is, there are a lot of things on my computer that are only on my computer. I've saw it in Dropbox recently. There's a vault and I don't know what it does yet, but I'm going to research it. And I think it might be used for what we're, and maybe I don't even trust that stuff. Like it's still floating around in internet space somewhere. Elon you know? Musk going to grab it out of the sky and do something with it. Yeah. Hey, fair. I mean, all that stuff is just over my head anyways. I don't even know how to use it, let alone like understand how to like break it, crack it or whatever. I'm like, how do we put stuff in the vault? Now that we know like what you have to do during the day, if you could help us piece together, like when it happens and how it happens, that'd be great. And, you know, we broke it down like morning load and setup. And I know that the way you tour isn't this way right now. But I like how you broke it up. It made it easy for me to piece it together because a lot of things like overlap. How do you, because currently you've been with Kygo for like six years as a production and tour manager. Do you guys do a lot of fly dates? To only do fly dates. Uh, he did an arena tour, which was, we've only done one, but the DJ world is just so different. And it took me a little bit to adjust and like relearn how to do DJs versus how to do bands. Cause it's a whole, it's a completely different world. So this stuff isn't entirely the same, but if you were to do a tour in a bus, you would, this is what, what would happen like right now. Yeah. I based this off doing a, like a bus tour. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for having all the information. And so let's say it's the first day of tour. Just kidding. It's not the first day of tour because we're already into that. So you, you're like two weeks into tour. <laughs> you just wake up in your bunk. You're on the bus. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Uh, so the tour manager is always the first one up. And the first thing to do is you send an alarm knowing when you're going to arrive to the venue because you need to get the buses and the trucks parked correctly. You know, if you're on a big tour, there's only so many parking spots and these are big vehicles. So you need to make sure that they're like parked correctly so you can get your drivers who've been driving all night to their hotel because they sleep all day. So you need to get everybody parked correctly because once you're parked, the drivers have to then leave and go sleep. And it's like illegal to move your bus. There's all these rules and regulations about, you know, how, how often you can move your bus. So priority number one is get everybody parked correctly and get your drivers to their hotel because they're exhausted and grumpy and they don't want to be there anymore. Then you, you meet with your, the local production manager, you know, whoever runs the venue, they unlock the doors for you. You go in the venue, you usually take a little like lap around the venue. They show you all the backstage rooms. They show you the stage, they point certain things, fire exits, you know, just like the basic information out to you. They introduce you to, you know, some people, you know, that are going to be important, usually even a production assistant that kind of helps you throughout the day. You have a runner, so, you know, a person who, you know, does shopping and, you know, has a car and gets whatever you need. You just meet like your key people for the day. Then you do something, depending on what size tour it is, if you're flying truss and lights, you bring your riggers in and you chalk the stage. Basically, they line up where everything's going to be and they look up at the grid and figure out, you know, where it's going to fly. Because you can't put anything on the stage until you get the things that are in the air up in the air. Because once they're in the air, they can't come back down on the stage. So your rigging team comes in and they make sure that, you know, they lay out the truss and everything. And then you start dumping trucks, which when you dump a truck, you do if things are going to fly first. So you do the light first you get all those up in the air off the deck and then you bring in your audio because that gets flown up in the air and then the last truck you dump is your back line you know the things that go on stage once the stuff that's in the air is up in the air when you meet those people in the morning like your runner and your local people that aren't on tour with you do you grab their phone numbers and such like that or do you have it ahead of time or how, what do you do you have most of their information if if you did a solid advance and advancing is when you know just you communicate back and forth with the venue the weeks leading up to the show you get all of their information because a lot of times you'll get to the venue and they won't be there yet or, you know, it's they're not like waiting out the front door for you. You have to, you know, reach out to them. So you do, there is some exchanging numbers and usually, you know, on a bigger tour, you carry two-way radios. So you give certain, you know, people that you're going to be communicating with a lot throughout the day, you give them their own radio. So you guys don't have to keep calling each other's cell phones. You can just talk freely, no matter, you know, wherever they are in the, in the building. That makes sense for sure. Sorry. I was like, when you said that, I was like, oh, I have a question about this. Cause I don't know how it works. I always like see all of those numbers in the tour book. And then I like put it in my backpack and never see those numbers again. Yeah. You don't need those numbers. <laughs> I don't ever save any of those numbers. I guess like having walkie talkies is like the sickest thing ever. I guess that's why I'm not allowed to have one like on the band bus just because like I'll like randomly talk to people throughout the day and they're like, can you like stop doing this? We're trying to like work for real. And I'm like, <laughs> I like when I end up with multiple radios or walkie talkies, you have to do like a crisscross action and one sound on this shoulder and one's on this shoulder. You're just you're communicating with so many people. You need more than one. That's funny. Yeah. You look really important then. I need one just so people stop stopping me at every entrance with a camera. Just so they take me seriously. I always meet 
mean to give one to photographers, but they're always like running around, like crawling around, climbing under like weird holes and stuff. And they're like, it just gets caught on things. And so they end up taking it off and then they leave it somewhere and then they forget it. And then you're like, well, that thing costs $800. So, oh my God, that's your cost. <laughs> it's your fault. You're buying expensive walkie talkies. God damn it. Adam, you're, you best be glad that no one gives you a walkie talkie. I'm responsible. Not that you aren't responsible. I'm going to make a fake one. But you only have so many items that you bring on tour because I feel like if you had more, you might leave them. Oh yeah, that's fair. I'm just going to get a walkie talkie. That's like part of a shirt. It's just going to be like sewn on. And when I put the shirt on, it's my, <laughs> it's just part of it. We had a kid in Australia once at an all time show who came with a fake walkie talkie and snuck in so sick we eventually caught him and kicked him out but he was smart enough he was like if i just have a walkie-talkie and a fake laminate they'll just like wave me through and he was 100 percent right he walked right into the building we do not advocate for this that won't happen anymore because of this guy now we've stepped up security so don't even try it everybody out there that <laughs> they have to have two walkie-talkies now you have to have better laminates we only use a specific brand which we're not telling you so oh yeah <laughs> never post your laminates online that's something we talk about you don't want to oh, that drives me nuts when people do that yeah i can't imagine that's like probably a big security risk, huh? Yeah. Laminates and not just laminates, but like you give satins out to people that like only come one day. You tell them don't post it. So I'm like, okay. But at the end of the night, they're like, well, the concert's over and then they post it. But you use that <laughs> same satin the next day and the day after. And so like the next city is like, oh yeah, well now we know what it looks like. Some kid goes to FedEx and makes a fake version and your whole security system's fucked. They're like in Philly and they write Pittsburgh because that's what it said on the one before. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're like, you're past says pittsburgh and we're not there they're like oh well all right we'll see you later i would always do sports teams so for like pittsburgh i'd do like the penguins or the steelers that's a good move man hanging notes neil yeah this is this is great it's just more fun and then people are like oh we hate the steelers like why do we have to steelers and everything all day hey, you want to come <laughs> on the show or not after you load everything in you get to your setup and what happens during setup so once everything's in and on stage and on the floor, then you, you know, you finish building the stage, you build the lights, you get everything in place. Then the, your lighting guys and your video guys, they come in and they have to like make sure everything works. The lighting guys have to program the lights. So they have to, you know, you can't just hang a light bulb. You have to point it in a certain direction and then make sure it's moving the way it's supposed to move. And like, you know, every room is different. So you have to make sure it's pointing at, you know, if Neil is standing in a certain place on stage, the lights that are supposed to be on Neil are actually going to be on Neil. That's called programming the lights. They do that. The video guys make sure the video works. The audio team, they, it's called ringing out the PA. You just make sure the PA sounds right. You know, every room is different. So the, the audio bounces in certain ways. So, you know, they have to, to fine tune the PA every day to make sure it, you know, sounds right and is ready for the artist when they come in to, to sound check. And then you also have to set up the backstage. You have to, you know, there's eight dressing rooms and there's four bands you tell you know you have to sign each room you know a dater member is going to be in this room opening band one is going to be in this room neil one needs his own room so he's in this room you know like Whoa, okay. you sign the backstage <laughs> and you set it up so it's you know when everyone the crew and the artists and everybody walks into the building for the first time it's they know where to go the rooms are you know set up and you know you make it your home for the day you as the tour manager or production manager you're kind of overseeing all of those things and so if anyone has problems they're coming to you right yeah you know everything that's going on at all times in all areas basically we're just going to keep saying that because it's you're just a badass and we just need to reiterate like how important these positions are and how much responsibility is on you guys's shoulders and to be completely honest every almost every tour i've done the production manager and the tour manager do such a good job that i don't even know to half this shit even and that's good it's people usually don't the artist specifically, you only notice things if they're wrong. You know, you get, it's the same thing every day and you get comfortable with it. And as a tour manager, I'm happy if the day just goes smooth and nobody says anything. Cause you usually only hear if like, Hey, you know, where's my so-and-so or if you're Justin Bieber, where's my hot tub today? Or, you know, like whatever <laughs> it is, they usually only notice when something's missing. So if you don't hear from anybody all day, then you did your job. I thought I was the only artist that had their own hot tub every day, but Justin. Yeah. It always amazes me. Like just asking you what you do and you're like, well, I make sure that everybody else does everything and then you know everything. So after you get all set up, this sounds like when it would be sound check, you know, like just from my own experience. <laughs> What, is that not true? <laughs> no, I just like how you phrased it. You're like, I mean, based on my own experience. I mean, I've only done it a couple times, but... So leading up to sound check, the PA's ready, the lights are ready, the deck is clear, there's no, like, dead cases, which, for those who don't know, dead cases, when you take, like, a lighting fixture out of the case, 
And then you close the case, that is now a dead case because there's nothing in it and you don't need it. So you get rid of it. So you make sure like, you know, the room's clear and it looks like how it's going to look for the concert. Cause you don't want your artist coming in and there's like stuff, you know, all over the, the room. So, you know, if sound checks at three o'clock, you know, you and your crew know that by three o'clock, every, the room's got to look show ready. Then you go and make sure your artist is awake or at the venue or where they need to be alive. Yeah. Alive, not hungover, whatever it is, you know, they, they've eaten lunch, you know, they've gotten whatever they need to, to now walk on stage and, you know, perform for nobody. So you gather up your band and you get them to the stage and you basically hand them off to their crew and you say, all right, guys, the years now, the guitar techs meet up with the guitar players and, you know, go through the guitars and, you know, the band walks on and they, they start doing their thing. And then it's your job to make sure that the band is happy and they have everything that they need and it's going to sound and look right, but also get them off stage by a certain time. Because if you have an hour sound check, you need to get them off by that hour because there's many other things that then happen after sound check before doors. And, you know, a lot of times bands want to just hang around and, and fool around and have fun and play, you know, all day long. But there's other things that have to happen. So you make sure they're happy and then you kick them off. I mean, and if you leave a guitar player up there for too long, they'll, well, I'll turn knobs for like five hours. So Right. I mean, you don't really get to play with your instrument all that much. You know, it's either packed away in a truck or it's too loud to just, you know, start playing backstage. So, you know, that is your time, your chance to have fun on stage and, you know, do whatever you want. But there's only so much time that you can be on stage. So it's like, as they're wrapping up, what do you do during soundcheck? So like, you're getting them up there. Do you kind of just hang out during soundcheck? Or are you like kind of getting stuff done? Or uh, I usually like to hang out around soundcheck. It's a stress-free, usually, environment. And you just like to make sure that everyone's happy, the band's happy. You can like, you know, they'll a lot of times they'll have fun with it. You know, they don't always play their own songs, you know. You know, all the time I used to play Foo Fighters songs or like Jimmy Eat World. And it's just like fun to just like, you know, stand on the side and, and watch these guys have fun being a band. And, you know, as someone who was in a band, it's just fun to be around that. And it's always cool, too. in like those moments, like you get those like special times that nobody else gets to see. And I mean, getting to tour with other bands, like I would always go to watch Soundcheck and I wasn't even in their band. I'm like, this is sick. totally, I, you know, when we would do support tours, I loved watching bands Soundcheck because they're just they're being themselves up there. They're not putting on an act. There's nobody, you know, there watching them. They're just like having fun being a band. And it's cool to see that sometimes, you know, and they're fooling around and just having a good time. It's like, so as Soundcheck kind of gets wrapped up, what time, what are you looking at timing wise in the day at that point? You're making sure that the other bands are there ready to go. Or, you know, sometimes there's fans that do get to watch Soundcheck or, you know, you're just making sure that let's say Soundcheck ends at four and doors are at six. You know that there's two hours now that you need to get every other band set up on stage and backlined, which is when you set up the bands in reverse order. You need to sound check the other bands. You need to make sure dinner is going to be ready if you know you're serving dinner to everybody. Uh, you need to make sure that the venue is getting all of their stuff in place. Usually, you don't set up the barricades and stuff until then. You need to make sure that security is showing up. If you have any meet and greets to do, you're getting those people inside. You're getting your band ready and you're running the meet and greet itself. Your merch sellers, they have to be ready before doors open. So you're making sure that, you know, their merch displays are set up and they're at their merch displays ready to sell. Cause you know, a lot of kids, as soon as they come in the room, they want to buy a t-shirt. So, you know, you're making sure those guys are ready. And then, you know, right before doors happen, you make sure that there's music playing and the lights are off, security's all in their place. Your band is in a secure place. They're not like lingering around the front doors, you know, because before doors, everybody walks around, you know, wherever they need to be. But you have to make sure your lead singer is not just like wandering the room when you let thousands of people in, they're going to get mobbed. So, you know, you just make sure everyone's in their place and the support bands are ready and everyone's aware when the show is going to start. You open doors. That's when the fun starts. Doors. Did I jump there? Did I? Uh... No, you segued perfectly. I think like kind of telling us the time in which you kind of end soundcheck and then kind of rolling into all those responsibilities that happen before four doors is it's like exactly what we were looking to kind of get across and you nailed it you're just that good do you want a job on a podcast <laughs> funny story neil matt was the other person like i was trying to find co-host and matt was the other person i talked to matt do you want my job <laughs> if you're ever sick trade off i don't have the star power to uh to draw an audience me neither neil's ever sick for isaac's coming on against his will i'm just calling I think him that up that would be amazing that would be fun. i honestly have a lot of fun doing this and i think it's really cool getting to kind of talk to all the different people to understand the intricacies like how deep these things go because from an artist's perspective i don't really get to see a lot of it and you said it when it's like unless it goes wrong i don't know and it's really cool for me to learn all these details about everything that's going on because it is what we do and now i'll have such such a deeper appreciation for everyone around me working and stuff pretty cool it would be fun to do this again with other 
crew members because like you said everyone has their own perspective of the day mm-hmm. and to hear like you know a guitar tech's day in comparison to my day you know i think i understand what they're doing all day long and they're where i need them to be at the times that i need them to be there but you know i don't really necessarily know what they do the other times of the day so in order to have this same conversation with other people it would be fun yeah you get them on they're like well i, I do a lot of bunk time <laughs> <laughs> go to chipotle i get coffees so far we've done like tour manager we've done merchandise manager like we've gotten through a few of them and everybody's job i'm like i thought my job was hard and it's not my job is incredibly easy it's hard in a different way i have to be awake a lot but these people have to do so much more exactly i'm gonna have to like never complain again because i feel like an idiot every episode we do i just feel like oh man i whoa, complain doing nothing and everyone else is like working so hard people always ask me do you wish you were an artist and not a crew member and I say absolutely not. The, the pressure to be an artist is like on tour, it seems like a lot more fun, but the pressure to go on stage every night in front of thousands of people and perform like to the level that you guys do and not even like considering writing music and putting out good music and the press. And it's like, I don't know, it's a lot of pressure to be an artist. And I totally respect what you guys have to do day in and day out. I would much happier just be a nobody that just, you know, nobody knows who I am or what I'm doing and just kind of like go about my business throughout the day. I'll just reiterate the compliment and we couldn't do it without everyone who does such a good job behind the scenes that a lot of times no one even sees because they do such a good job. But, you know, it is, it's a big uh, family that kind of helps everyone work better. And I'm sure you know this because of how awesome All Time Low is to tour with, but it's like when you have good people to work for or work with, it's like you don't even really mind doing the hard work or the things that kind of come with responsibilities or, you know what I mean? It's like when we go out there, we know we're kind of representing our crew and everyone that kind of travels with us and it makes it that much easier. Rad. I like these little side tangents we're getting on. It's nice. I like to talk. Okay, cool. To get us a little bit so we can keep getting through the day here. So doors open, the fans are coming in, the band is not out there, and the audience not getting mobbed. The next thing on your list is the show, or do you have anything that happens like between doors and the show for you? I guess we can roll both into each other. With doors, I always like to stand at the front doors when they open. Okay. Just to make sure that the venue is doing their job and opening on time. A lot of times the venue will tell you they're ready, and then you're like sitting back in your office, and like they don't actually open. They're just telling you that on radio. I like to be standing there and be like, okay, you know, you said six o'clock. Are your security guys in place? Are your ticket takers in place? Let's see doors open at six o'clock. And that's just like a trust thing with the venue. And I like to be there, you know, with the production manager and we watch doors open and we high five and say, all right, show's on, you know, let's move on to the next thing. And I also like to make sure that as fans are coming in, you know, if there's, you know, they're getting wanded or there's, you know, metal detectors, make sure it's happening and they're being safe and protecting you and the artists, but also like doing it at a rapid enough pace that you're going to get fans in quick enough because the last thing you want to do is have to hold your show and stall the delay of it because there's not enough fans inside. People paid tickets to see a concert. If security's not getting them in quick enough, then that's not fair to them that they're not getting to now see the concert, you know. But let's say everything's going smooth, fans are coming in, everyone's safe. Next job is to make sure that the first band gets on stage at 6.30 or 7.30, whatever the start time is, make sure they're on time and then make sure they get off stage on time. You know, with younger bands and a lot of opening bands, you know, sometimes they're not disciplined enough to get off stage on time and then you start, you know, yelling at other tour managers and being like, Hey, 631, like you're supposed to be off at 630. Now you're pushing my show, you know, like there's a curfew. If you can only go so late and then it's going to start cutting out of the headliner set. So, you know, you're just at that point kind of being in charge and, and monitoring and make sure everyone is following the, the you know, the schedule and, and abiding by the rules. You monitor the changeovers, you know, band A comes off, band B comes on, band B has to start on stage. Make sure everything's working. Make sure the lights are working. Make sure that everything sounds okay. You got to make sure your artist is back in the building. A lot of times after sound check, the artist disappears. <laughs> Never know what they're doing. You know, they are, they go off into the... We're buying Pokemon card. Yeah, catching Pokemon. Yeah, come on. Sometimes I'll go to a hotel, you know, whatever it is, playing Pokemon. But you just make sure they're back in the building so you know that you can get your own band on stage on time. And then when it comes to be showtime, you know, you get your boys or your boys and girls, what you know, whatever your artist is, get them on, make sure they're happy, make sure they're excited, make sure they have what they need. And then they're off and running. And then, you know, that's that. They do their thing. And you get to watch the show. Sit back and relax. Take a few deep breaths. (laughs) 
I usually watch one or two songs, make sure that, you know, the show is flowing. It looks good. People are excited. And then there are things to do during the show. Typically, the tour manager and the production manager, once the show is up and running, you go and get paid. And getting paid is a more involved than just the promoter handing you a check. I need money. Please give it to me. There's a hundred people, you know, that are, we'll just say a hundred people. You know, there's, there's so many people that run the show and there's so many things that people had to buy. A lot of costs involved and those costs get broken down into the cost of the show and that affects what the artist gets paid. And so you sit together with the promoter and you go through every single cost and they show you every single receipt of everything that went into making that show happen. And you discuss it and you, you know, if they said there's 50 stagehands, the production manager's job to count and, you know, be sure that there actually were 50 stagehands because that's what you're getting charged for. So, wow. you know, you go through and you discuss all the different costs of the show and then you guys agree on the amount of money that the artist gets paid for the show. And then you go sign off and they eventually do hand you a check. But sometimes it's a, there's a little bit of a arguing that goes back and forth over, you know, certain things and this didn't show up or that was here, this wasn't there. You know, yeah, that stagehand was here, but they didn't, you know, actually do their job. They just kind of stood around, you know, there's a lot of discussion that goes into settling the show, which is what it's called. But eventually you get to a number and you agree and everybody shakes hands and the artist gets their money. And so you do that while the band's on stage. So when they get off stage, you can do the loadout process. Process and you can focus your attention back on your band because when they're on stage you know your your guitar techs and your audio crew and those guys are taking care of the band at this point you're not you know you're always in charge of the band but you're trusting that the guys you've hired can take care of the band for the hour or 90 minutes that they're on stage and you don't have to be there to you know look over them like how important is understanding like a contract or being able to like negotiate those things for you know i guess a production manager or a tour manager just like any contracts they're not worth Worded very easily. You know, it's it's contract lingo. And there's, you know, sometimes it's contracts are very straightforward. The band gets paid X and then you get paid, you know, you know, a certain if there's three thousand people show up, after three thousand people, the band gets, you know, 85% or whatever it is of you know the money after that. But sometimes it really does come down to you have to deduct the cost of the show out of, you know, the total money that was made. And then you, you know, the promoter takes a share and the artist takes a share. And so it's, you know, you have to really read and understand the contracts and the wording and, you know, exactly what you're dealing with. For me, I working with all time low from when they were a smaller band to a, you know, a bigger band, their contracts got more involved as they got bigger. So I got to learn, you know, I got to grow with them. I learned very basic contracts and as their career got bigger, their contracts got more involved, but I kind of learned with it. Well, I was just going to ask, you know, like as you were kind of coming up, did you look up to larger bands, tour managers as like mentors? And did they kind of walk you through those situations or how did that work? Always. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of guys I looked up to. They wouldn't necessarily let, you know, teach you about settlements because you kind of keep that that's private information. You know, you don't talk about what bands are getting paid, but they do give you insights on like things to look out for, you know, uh, this, you know, you'll hear them talking, Oh, this promoter was sketchy and tried to like pull one over me on this, or, you know, like they stiffed us here. They didn't, you know, you learn things that promoters do not saying all promoters are bad. Some, you know, some promoters out there are some of my best friends, but there are sketchy promoters and they do try and like make a little extra money, you know, here and there. And so, you know, having other tour manager and production manager friends, you learn about those things and what to look out for. And also how to save your band money. You know, there's, you can spend a ton of money to get, you know, a result, or you can, you know, cut costs in certain ways that you still get the same result, but you saved your band a bunch of money. And at the end of a tour, if you can save your band a ton of money, you're going to get rehired because oh yeah, as much fun as they had, you're going on tour to make a profit. And if you spend all their money, then, you know, what's the point of going on tour? You learn how to save your band money. So you do all of that during a show, like you settle the show, you get all of those things taken care of. So when the band comes off, they're like, all right, next thing we're getting, we're moving on. We're going back to the hotel. We're loading out. We're doing these different things, right? Yeah. The band usually comes off stage and, you know, they, they start wanting things again. At that point, there's a lot of adrenaline <laughs> running, but they're also, you know, everyone's hungry, what do you, mean? you know, <laughs> like giant babies. <laughs> people want their beer, you know, people want to eat, people want to shower. And a lot of times you only have a certain window of time to get a lot of things done because you have to get on the bus and get to the next venue. And, you know, you only have so many hours to get to the next city. So yeah, you got to make sure you're, you have the paycheck in hand before you start worrying about all the other things. They're like, Oh, all the stuff's out of the venue. And now we, 
Oh, the door shut. Yeah. Oh no, we didn't get paid yet. So show's over. We can briefly go over loadout and after show. Loadout for the, I'll split this up between tour manager and production manager. Loadout for the tour managers, we focus on the band. Get them there, get them food, get them beer, whatever they want, make sure they're showered. If they're going to a hotel, get them in their cars to the hotel. My life is easier the quicker I get the band out of the venue because then I can refocus on other things. You know, a lot of times the band wants to stay and hang out in the dressing room and play video games and I just want to get rid of them. <laughs> Sorry, Neil, but like no, it's fine. once the band's gone, it's one less thing to worry about, you know, and you can refocus on the crew and, you know, getting all of them out of the building. For the production manager, you, as soon as the show ends, you start breaking down the show because you only have so much time to get everything out of the venue, into the trucks, packed in a very specific way, and then get the drivers off to the next venue. And you know exactly how long it's going to take to drive to the venue. And sometimes you only have, you know, if you're leaving at midnight and it's an eight hour drive and your load in is at 8 a.m you have to the trucks have to leave by midnight or you're going to be late for your next show and if you're late at all for your next show the whole day is then ruined you have to get there on time you know the production manager's job is just to get the show down and out you get your truck drivers and your bus drivers you get them food you give them little like bags you know brown paper bags <laughs> of, of food full story you don't ever give a driver turkey because as we all know from thanksgiving turkey makes you tired so you don't give a bunch of drivers turkey so no never a turkey sandwich but yeah get everybody out of the venue and on to the next show it's kind of crazy to think about that because from an artist's perspective it's like i'm always like we're not going to move from here you guys don't have to worry about us but really we're just making everything harder <laughs> i had no idea <laughs> you're not really making it harder but the production manager is kind of like not tiptoeing around but like ready and waiting for you to need something whereas if you're not in the venue then they can just kind of focus on other stuff but you know if i have a band in the building still i'm like ready to like take care of something they're like in the back of your mind no matter what you're doing you're like okay i can do this but i also have to be ready just in case they over there need something right now right i don't want to be too far away in the building that if they call and like hey i'm trying to shower but i don't have a towel you're like fuck like I got to go find a towel for this guy and I'm a six minute walk on the other side of the, the room, you know, like after this podcast, I'm going to be a much better person to be on tour with. <laughs> <laughs> I will uh, lead by example for the rest of my friends in the band and other bands. You'd be like, guys, I know about this because I do a podcast on it. Trust me. We need to leave the venue. We need to go the rest of the right now. Like, Fuck off, Neil. Yeah, go away. If we just want to do this one small thing, it will honestly make them so much happier and their day so much easier. Let's just give this to them. I'm just thinking about all the times that we were just like riding scooters around the venue or like whatever we just do after the venue like goofing around and how it was so careless from your tour manager's like hey everybody having fun in the back of his mind he's like get out of the building <laughs> <laughs> and that's the hardest thing for me is like i think i'm like we're like the easiest band to work for because blah 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 this that and the other and i'm like actually we play video games <laughs> until the last minute that we're allowed to be in the venue and a lot of times that's when we'll be like all right now we're getting in the shower you guys don't realize there's like four stage hands waiting outside your room ready to oh, roll no. that case oh, out no i feel like an asshole <laughs> it's okay neil growth it's all about yes. listening and growing and that's what we're doing man <laughs> when i come out of this pandemic i'm going to be a better man neil's gonna be pushing his own case like i got it guys <laughs> i have done that before i one time i decided that i like not even just like saying this like i wanted to learn what it took to do this stuff and i was like i'm gonna load out so i did the push with them and then i drove for the opening band on one tour we took wage war on tour and i like our tour manager's probably like you cannot fucking go and drive that oh, yeah, other your band. tour manager's probably freaked out like oh my god he's not gonna you make Neil. it and in my mind i'm like i'm doing a really cool thing for this band it's gonna be badass i'm gonna drive them and i'm really just ruining everyone else's day he probably couldn't sleep he's like oh my god neil's gonna not show no, up that's actually cool that's a see that's like a cool tour story to tell like yeah, i drove the opening band that's awesome <laughs> it was actually th this is the one thing i've noticed is that like everyone kind of coming up now is like way more organized than we were like back in the day it was just like we had one binder with map quest directions when we were coming up and it's like by the third day like we were staying at someone's house and none of that even fucking mattered anymore it's like these don't work we also toured before like our early touring days in vans like before the internet that was really a big thing like you did have to go to a venue and you would ask like can anybody put us up for the night i mean we would tour and we would sleep on so many like random basement floors and stuff and because you couldn't communicate with those people before the show or like prior to meeting you know getting to the show to arrange those things and you didn't have the money to book hotels so booking a hotel was your kind of like your last resort and you know like you said you're printing out map quest directions like you 
never do that anymore. Yeah, we just stay at whoever would take us anywhere, like just like college houses on campus. It didn't matter. You're just like, okay, let's go there. But you wouldn't even do that nowadays. It's like kind of like, it's just, I don't know. I just feel like it's different. Yeah. Then it was like, hey, let's ask this 17 year old guy if we can stay at his parents' house with them. And it's like eight of us. I had band stay at my place all the time. Oh, I know. And it was great. And it's like that back then it didn't even seem weird. It seemed awesome. We're like, yeah, we have all these, we have these friends in Virginia and we'll stay with them. And we got these friends out in Arizona and they are always fun. And it's like, once you kind of started touring a couple of times, you kind of knew in those areas, like, oh, they'll let us stay for sure. And I don't know. You just learn that stuff, I guess. And nowadays, I don't think, I don't even think you do that. Now it's like, we have our whole tour booked on Travelingo or whatever the fuck it's called. Do people even tour in vans and trailers anymore? Is that a thing? Mostly sprinters, I would say. Well, it's like sprinters. And then it's like, because I feel like when we were coming up, they didn't have bandwagon. So it was just like, there was this gap of like, one day we'll be in a bus, maybe, hopefully one day, maybe. And now they're like, yeah, fuck the van. We're going into the bandwagon. It's fine. We'll just Yeah, I guess there is there that step in between now. But we didn't have that. I, I've never been in a bandwagon. We did our time in vans and trailers, and then we went to buses or bandwagons even existed. Yeah, I think that's correct. I think I remember they were invented in like 2011 or something. I remember seeing them pop up on Warp Tour, and I was like, what are these things? We always had that one tour where it was like, are we going to make enough? And we're moving to a bus because we have to physically have too many crew members or too many people. But it's like, we're not getting paid that much, but hopefully we'll sell enough merch and then we'll just figure it out. And there was like one or two tours where it was like, well, we're just going to make it happen <laughs> and then once you switch to a bus you're like we're never going back never going back <laughs> it's like yeah. oh shit it's badass to have a bed well i think that sums everything up right did we get through everything i wasn't quite sure where we left off on the after show i think so i didn't mention bus call but i think i like mentioned what it bus calls when you leave yeah bus calls what you don't miss yeah you don't miss and it and you find all the drunk people and make sure they're on the bus well i feel bad because you have a lot of stories here but we're definitely at our time limit so we'll have to have you back on the podcast let's get one good story yeah, in one story or anything you want to share. I saw Mariah Carey's name on here. Uh, so we <laughs> Kagu did the iHeartRadio festival and we like his DJ booth was too big to fit on the stage for changeover. It was taking too much space. So it's like, well, let's just put it on like, give me four motors. We'll just put it on, like strap it up and we'll just lift it up into the sky. And we're like, well, this thing weighs like 3000 pounds. They're like, we're not really sure if like we can do that. And I was like, well, we don't really have any other option. So sure enough, they did that. And then we were on right after Mariah Carey and she's standing on stage like kind of like getting ready it was like a one of those turntable stages yeah spins yeah it's just she's in the back like getting ready to go on and we're staying on the side of the stage like kind of starstruck like oh my god it's Brian Carey and then I look up and I see her 3,000 pound DJ booth just <laughs> dangling above her I'm like if this thing wasn't strapped in right and it falls like we're gonna kill Mariah Carey no <laughs> that would be terrible it sounds like a movie scene it should be a movie scene it sounds like Kygo's life is a movie the DJ scene is pretty wild it's so much different than, than the touring we're used to we're like we got to rent a jet ski one time on an off day and he's like we flew my piano up to the top of a mountain and then did three backflips off of it and then it almost killed mariah carey you put two stories together but i do like that one better i think i think you made a better story oh that wasn't the story that's what i heard it's fine Okay, wait, we have two last things before we go. First of all, thank you so much for joining us. This was great. We appreciate you. Thanks dearly. for having you guys. This is a lot of fun. Hell yeah. And last question before our send off. Neil, you want to hit him with it? Do you wear shower shoes or not when you just exist? <laughs> no, no, I don't. In the shower. <laughs> I never wore shower shoes yes. ever, which is so nasty. But no, no, it's good. I don't know. I never got like a foot disease or anything. I just, I don't know. I, I always survive. Human bodies are amazing things. And shoes are just like kind of amazing you know i was a big bar soap guy if you get like you just when you go on tour by a bunch of little bars of soap and then you don't need like a washer again you choose the bar of soap and then you leave it at the venue you're done with it and every day you have a new little bar of soap i always shower after the guy with the little bar of soap and then i just use his <laughs> just reuse his bars <laughs> <laughs> nice kevin take it away bud <laughs>